What good is transparency without clarity? And why is it like a sink full of dishes? We'll find out on this episode of Shift Shapers. Change either paralyzes or energizes. The choice is yours. You're listening to the Shift Shapers podcast. You're about to learn firsthand from businesses and entrepreneurs who have successfully shaped the shifts in their industries. Get ready to become the change that you want to see. Here's your host and chief transformation strategist, David Saltzman. Announcing Ascend, the agency growth and leadership summit that's coming to Nashville, Tennessee this January. Ascend is a fresh, interactive experience exclusively for benefit agency leaders and focused on providing practical and proven strategies to help you maximize your growth. This isn't just a bunch of talking heads. It's a hands-on, take-it-home-and-implement-it ideas and tools meeting. I'm going to be there, and I'm so psyched about this meeting that I've arranged a special discount just for Shift Shapers listeners. To get all of the details, go to www.shiftshapersonline.com and click on the Ascend logo at the top right. Today, we're excited to be speaking with Robin Gelbert. Robin is president of Fair Health, which is a national independent nonprofit, and they're doing some really interesting and effective work around the broad subject that we've talked about a lot on the podcast of pricing and transparency. What brought them to my attention was they recently released a study that we'll give you a link to from the show website, so you don't have to frantically make notes and be scribbling. But I think it's a must-read and, a, more importantly, a must-understand for anyone who's in our business today. And that's why we invited Robin to the program. So with that, welcome, Robin. Thank you so much. I'm delighted to be here. So let's start at the very beginning. What is Fair Health? So Fair Health is an independent national not-for-profit organization that has very unique origins. It was created out of a settlement agreement reached by then-Attorney General Andrew Cuomo with the insurance industry because there were concerns about the way in which consumers were being reimbursed for out-of-network services. And when they scratched the surface of the data products being relied upon by the insurers, they found that there were some impermissible conflicts of interest in the way in which that data uh, were being organized. So the parties all agreed to settle to eliminate those conflicts and create a new independent not-for-profit organization, that's Fair Health, that could create a new database of healthcare claims information and use that data to produce data products that could be relied upon by all stakeholders in the industry. And one of the other key components of the settlement was to launch a free consumer website that gives consumers access to cost information to help improve their decision-making and make them better advocates for themselves. So all consumer engagement tools are not necessarily good consumer engagement tools. Well, our mission is to bring fairness and transparency to health insurance information. So we applaud any efforts to bring transparency to consumers. And we understand that that's sort of a new conversation that's being had in the public square now about how to engage consumers. First of all, we distinguish between transparency and clarity at Fair Health, because even as well-intentioned as one can be to try to bring transparency information, it doesn't necessarily add to clarity for consumers or advance their ability to make sound decisions. A good example is if you're thinking about a sink of dirty dishes piled high with silverware and glassware, it's a dirty pile. It's transparent to your eye, but it makes no sense to you. You can't really understand what those elements are trying to tell you. 
you can take those same elements of glassware, dishware, silverware, and array them in a beautifully set table. And that's bringing clarity to those same elements. That's what we try to do to data. And when you're looking at other consumer engagement tools, it's important to really understand what's fueling those tools. Are they moving the consumers from transparency to clarity? Is the data that's populating those tools, is it robust? Is it representative of the community that the consumer lives in? Is it being kept current? Is it contextualized in a way that allows the consumer to differentiate between different things? For example, is the data reflecting in-network rates or out-of-network rates? Are they facility rates or are they professional services? So there's so many different features to look to in any consumer engagement tool to really drive consumers to that ability to bring clarity to their decision-making. Well, and the clarity is key. We were talking a little bit off air about how consumers have a very robust set of tools, both mental and in front of them and on the web and other places for shopping, except when it comes to this mythical thing called healthcare. And so clarity is arguably maybe more important in what we're talking about than going to Amazon, looking for a widget and looking at the ratings, isn't it? Absolutely. And it really goes beyond that concept of clarity because you're right, there's a societal or social barrier for some to even confront some of these tools in the context of healthcare. Healthcare, it's really been fascinating because in the past, consumers really were comfortable back in the chorus line of the show, if you will, of their healthcare insurance information. It was the plans and the employers and the brokers having conversations that impacted consumers, but they weren't really overly engaged because they received sort of large portions of what their healthcare dollar was. Now, there's much more cost sharing on the part of consumers. They've been plucked from the chorus line. They're now on this proscenium stage, really without a script though, and being asked to star in this show, pay a lot of money out of pocket, make proactive decisions about public exchanges or private exchanges or high deductible health plans or narrow networks and really now truly need the tools. But you're right, there's still some social and cultural barriers to accessing those. And we were fascinated, you alluded to the survey that we had done, we were fascinated to see even millennials, which overwhelmingly turn to online tools, whether it's for electronic devices or different kinds of musical services or entertainment services for healthcare routinely scale very low in terms of accessing that type of information. Well, let's dive into the study a little bit because it seems to me that the study has been, if nothing else, a really useful tool for the director of the play to determine which actors ought to be cast in which role and how to work with with different actors. Because one of the things that you found, and I should say that you surveyed more than a thousand folks And the margin of error is 3.5% at 95% certainty. So we can rely on what we're reading in the survey. And one of the things that I thought was fascinating was that different constituencies, different cohorts, if you will, access, let's start with this, access care in different locales in very predictable ways. What did the study show? Well, first of all, one of the things it showed was that certain populations, particularly in the Latino and Black populations, when asked where they would seek to access care that was non-emergent, over, you know, approximately 30 to 35% of those populations said they would go to the emergency room as their first point of care for those types of services. So that was one interesting fact. The other thing we learned is that millennials, 
are more inclined to go to urgent care centers than those in older populations who still rely more upon their primary care doctors, which isn't a surprise, which also bleeds into decision-making for plan selection. Those that are over, you know, 45 and such have longer standing relationships with their providers, their healthcare professionals. So that becomes a more relevant factor to them in terms of plan selection, whether that doctor is in the plan, whereas millennials and younger individuals will look more to cost and premium value for their health plan selection. Well, and I wonder, is it true, would you say that it's true that similarly to the way older folks make decisions, the millennials are more likely to go to urgent care centers because they've grown up with them? They've been something that, you know, they've had right along and that they've known where older adults have not. I mean, it's, it's a newer phenomenon for some of us seasoned folks. There's a real sea change going on in where people are accessing their care. And you're right, urgent care facilities are newer on the scene, a newer venue that are more familiar to millennials. And we're also seeing the same sort of an uptick in retail clinics as well, in addition to urgent care facilities. So whereas I would take my sons to a CVS retail clinic to get a flu shot, there are now people going there for a full office visit looking to these other venues and expanding the types of services that they're seeking in some of these more convenient settings in their minds because either of hours of operation or availability, you know, in terms of geographic availability and access. Well, and especially with millennials, the entire world revolves around their convenience and and that's the way their world has been built. And I think it's going to be fascinating based on that I think we're going to see some really interesting changes in the way in which the patient-provider relationship is going to evolve. Millennials are much more demanding in terms of aspects of convenience. So like open table to make your reservations at a restaurant, they want to be able to make online reservations. That will start bleeding more and more into the healthcare setting because there's going to be a very strong appetite to have that type of ease and access Likewise, email communication with their provider, something that they will come to expect because that's how they converse and interact with, you know, all different kinds of stakeholders in their lives. Well, and arguably, why shouldn't that exist? As you say, it is something that we have in all other aspects of our life. But healthcare has been such a strange, unparalleled universe that up until recently, it's almost been like a Twilight Zone episode. The economics don't work the way anything else. The access doesn't work the way anything else does. And I guess you can cite all kinds of reasons for that. One of them that, you know, that our guests cite frequently is the fact that there have been so many third-party intermediaries in between patients and their actual health care. And that's a good jumping off point. I and mean, one of the other things that you found that I thought was fascinating in the study was that almost across the board, costs are higher than most of the survey respondents thought they would be. Correct. 50% of respondents were surprised by their medical bills and some very surprised, you know, at least some over 30% were very surprised within that 50% level, which in some ways, and ironically, is not surprising given the lack of transparency that has been true of healthcare costs close to the present day. I mean, there has been a curtain on healthcare costs. It has been, you know, some have said healthcare is different. It's not like 
buying a widget. It's not like purchasing a haircut as a service. There are so many gradations in what that care can be. You can't anticipate what complexities will be presented with a particular condition. So there have been all these reasons why it's been completely opaque, which explains now that we are pulling back the curtain and focusing a bit on cost, why there is such a, a large element of surprise. And I think the fact that when you couple that surprise with the amount of -of out-of-pocket costs that people are being asked to pay, that's what's creating a lot of the tension in the marketplace, a lot of the activity in different state houses and legislatures around the country to try to protect consumers from certain bills. It's creating a lot of interesting policymaking as this all comes to a head sort of together. There's a confluence of a number of factors all at once. And now, a word from our sponsor. Imagine a place where you could discover proven business-building strategies and pick the minds of top benefit agency leaders in the industry to maximize your own firm's growth and success. Well, now there is such a place. Announcing Ascend, the Agency Growth and Leadership Summit coming to Nashville, Tennessee this January. Ascend will be hosted by my friends Nelson Griswold and Scott Cantrell, authors of the industry best-selling book Do or Die, Reinventing Your Benefits Agency for Post-Reform Success, and founders of one of the most successful marketing and sales consultancies in the industry, Bottom Line Solutions. Ascend is a fresh, interactive experience exclusively for benefit agency leaders and focused on providing practical and proven strategies to help you maximize your growth. I'm going to be there, and I'm so excited about this totally different type of meeting that I've arranged a special discount just for Shift Shapers listeners. This event is invitation only, so there is an application process to attend. To get all of the details, go to www.shiftshapersonline.com and click on the Ascend logo at the top right of the page. See you in Nashville. And now, back to our interview. Well, and we saw this kind of in microcosm when we were marketing HRAs not so many years ago. When it's other people's money, folks tend to spend and be concerned or not concerned, as it were, with all kinds of crazy things. When it's their money and all of a sudden their pocketbook is involved, they start looking for the tools that they've been accustomed to right along. And I agree with you. I think that's going to drive a tremendous amount of change in the marketplace. And I say, well past due. We've talked to a couple of physicians, one out in Oklahoma City, a fellow named Keith Smith, who runs an outpatient surgical center. And they post their prices and they post their quality. And their numbers at their convention two years ago of physicians and other providers who do this were about 100. Last year, it was 250. And this year, they don't know how to plan for how many folks they're going to get. And what's interesting is their, their answer is, we don't deal with insurance companies. And they're, they're now intermediaries like companies like Metabid, which will go out and allow you to essentially send out an RFP for non-emergent surgical care. So you're right. Exactly. It's fascinating to see how that appetite for data is driving change, some on the voluntary level like that, and and it's becoming almost a marketing tool. So the same way that electronic health records became almost like a marketing addition for a healthcare practice, I started hearing, you know, advertisements of such and such medical practice offers electronic record keeping so you can keep track of all of your different tests and services. That became sort of an enticement to patients. Now the next level will be posting prices. 
we now you know show what our prices are we're willing to work within these parameters again a voluntary way to and, and a banner or a feather in your cap as a healthcare practice or a healthcare system to bring that level of transparency some of it will be voluntary and market driven some will be imposed by regulation and statute depending on the movement in the various marketplaces so it'll be a fascinating sort of where it's like a national laboratory, each state, its own laboratory, if you will, experimenting with different ways to really address this problem. It is. It's, it's a fascinating time to be watching this, both from the inside and from the outside. One of the other areas of the study that I thought the findings were quite interesting was that different constituencies had different things that influenced how they made their plan choices and what choices they made. Talk a little bit about that. I mean, what did you find? One thing that was surprising is with respect to narrow networks, we found less of a concern or an aversion to narrow networks per se. There was much more, almost across the board though, more of a concern that your doctor that you already have a relationship with is in the network, regardless of how large the network is unto itself. But then separately, there was, as expected in a sense, the millennials were much more focused on premium price which would show that they're much more cost conscious. They're starting their careers. They have fewer fungible dollars, if you will, and want to be a little bit more prudent about what they select. Whereas older generations were much more concerned with, as I said, choice of doctor and what the premium level would be. There were also some suggestions that you made. You you drew some conclusions about how people ought to go about encountering the system based on the survey data. Yes. I mean, I think there are a number of takeaways that are relevant to all the different groups is one is evaluating which professionals are important to you that you may already have relationships with to see whether they're represented in the plan network. It's important also to understand whether plans offer out-of-network benefits at all. And if they do, what type of -of out-of-network benefit is available to them Also, they should understand the composition in terms of the facilities that are available in a network. So whether there are urgent care facilities and retail clinics and other alternative venues, ambulatory surgery center facilities that may be available as well. What type of transparency tools in an ongoing way would be available to someone who's joining a plan? In other words, are there cost transparency tools that allow a plan member to manage their selection of different services, whether it's in-network or out-of-network, and give good, you know, robust market data to support those decisions. So in the two or three minutes that we've got left, we always like to kind of wrap up. And, and I know from your perspective, this is, I'll give you a little extra time because I know this is going to be a, an interesting answer because you've got a very unique position in the marketplace. What do you see the future looking like? I know you've created some of the future with FAIR. Where do you see this going and, and what are the likely implications that you see? I would almost analogize it into the clinical setting, just the way we're seeing genomics medicine and personalized medicine become very paramount in the clinical setting. In other words, having therapeutics and drugs that target specifically identified, you know, sort of tumors and conditions so that it's really personalized to your specific state as opposed to just having whether it's just breast cancer, you would want to know exactly the nature of the chemical composition. I see the same thing happening in healthcare and insurance and reimbursement. In other words, people are going to want more personalized profiles when they're shopping. I have type 2 diabetes. I want to know, based on these conditions, I would normally 
receive, you know, these services I would normally receive over the course of a year to manage my disease? What really is the cost scenario? What are my options? What are going, what's going to be my out-of-pocket exposure? Likewise, I'm starting a new family. I'd like to see sort of a new family sort of profile that speaks to me and my particular needs, or I'm having some ambulatory needs, surgical needs, knee arthroscopic surgery. I want to see personalized profiles when I'm doing plan selection that speak uniquely to my condition and the condition of my family so I can make an even more informed decision. So as I said, the same thing that's happening on personalized medicine, I think is going to happen with personalized plan selection. And you're going to see much more personalized cost profiles and value-based profiles that help enable that kind of decision making. Do you think that those are going to come from, for example, we'll use an enrollment system from something akin to an onboard decision support tool? Correct. I think it's going to be both in terms of plan selection at the front end. And once you enter a plan, ongoing decision support tools that would allow you to look at different sort of chronic disease profiles, help you manage your disease, both clinically and financially. And so that you can feel much more protected and supported and have a much more sort of private conversation between you and and your healthcare needs. So bonus question, because you you just triggered something that I think might be interesting place to discuss for a moment if we can. And that is right now, most of the employers who offer those kinds of tools offer them as a bunch of disparate pieces. They go to best in class vendors and they'll find things like best doctors and maybe a pharmacy shopping service and whatnot. Do you foresee a day in the near term where there will be an overlay of decision support that will bring all those tools together so a consumer will be able to access those from a top-level interface rather than interfacing with each specific vendor? Yes, I do. I see a lot, the opportunity for a lot of integration of that type of decision support. And I think consumers are going to demand that kind of convenience. But first and foremost, they're going to have to trust the source of the information and make sure that it's credible and reliable. And it's not to say that one platform can integrate different components from different other vendors, but I could see, you know, where there would be a a very strong appetite to have a very facile, you know, synthesized type of tool that gives that kind of information in in a one-stop shopping format. Robin Gelbert, president of Fair Health. Robin, thank you so much for spending time with the Shift Shapers audience today. My pleasure. The Shift Shapers podcast is a production of the Saltzman Group. We work with entrepreneurs, executives, and companies just like you to help shape the shifts in your business. To schedule a 20-minute call to learn more, visit our website at thesaltzmangroup.com or call me directly at 803-386-8005. I'd love to hear from you. And while you're on our site, You can also click the podcast tab for the entire catalog of Shift Shapers episodes and to access some really great special offers. Give me a call at 803-386-8005 and learn how to put the secrets of the Shift Shapers to work in your business.